I'm Michelle Sims, and this is the Beauty in the Mess, a community where people who crave a shift in mindset, personal growth, and connection to like-minded people come together to start rewriting their stories. Through engaging, honest, and insightful conversations, the show will help you embrace the mess to recognize the meanings and the lessons it holds and discover its hidden treasures to help you start making a mindset shift. Let's listen, learn, and reclaim who we were meant to be. Hi, friend. Welcome to the Beauty in the Mess. For this episode, I'm happy to welcome Emily Thoreau Threat to the Beauty in the Mess. Emily's passion is helping people work through grief. You may never get over it, but you can work through it and even be happy again. Having gone through the experience of so many deaths of so many loved ones, Emily has learned to face life with love, optimism, and joy. She has kept journals and written to express herself most of her life, which led her to a career of teaching writing and writing books. She naturally turned to writing to help deal with her grief, and then she discovered she could use writing to help others deal with grief, too. Hi, I'm Michelle Sims, your host. I'm just a regular person who, along with my family, have had our share of messes that we, too, have had to overcome. Along the way, I got curious as to how others get through their messes and even triumph over them. Maybe there's a better way, a faster way. Maybe we can accelerate our journeys by learning from someone else. That started my pursuit. I think we can all learn from each other through the sharing of our experiences, lessons, and knowledge. Join me for episode 39 of The Beauty in the Mess called Understanding Grief with Emily Thoreau Threat. To share her message, she hosts the Grief and Happiness podcast. She wrote the books, The Grief and Happiness Handbook and Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. She facilitates weekly meetings of the Grief and Happiness Alliance, and she founded the Grief and Happiness Nonprofit Foundation, and she publishes a weekly newsletter and a blog. She also created the Grief and Happiness Cards, gentle support for dealing with grief and finding happiness. So without further ado, let's dive right into today's conversation. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the Beauty and the Mess. It's so great to have you with us today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Oh, absolutely. Now, I know that you have founded a nonprofit organization and you've written a best-selling book. You do a podcast all about grief. But before we get into the details of all that, I was just wondering if you'd be willing to tell us some of your backstory. Like, how did you get to this place in your life? How did you become this best-selling author? Would you mind telling us some of that? Sure. No problem. I have had lots of grief in my lifetime, and I have had two husbands die. And those were the ones that I spent the most time with trying to figure out what to do after their deaths, because it seemed like I had my life all in order and know the direction I was going, and then everything changed twice. Wow. <laughs> so I'm an author. I have taught university-level writing for many, many years, and when my second husband died, I thought, I'm, I just have to write about this. And I I wasn't writing for anybody else. I was writing for me, trying to figure out what I needed to go, what my purpose was now, all that sort of thing. The more I wrote, the more comfort I got from the different things I was discovering. And I thought, boy, I could help other people by teaching them how to write this way too. And so I started a writing group. We were writing through grief group here on Maui, where I live. And lots of people came. I was kind of surprised because lots of people are grieving out there. (laughs) But we came and I was going to do it once a month. And they said, oh, can't we do it more often? So we made it every other week. And it, it was a really good group. 
then the pandemic happened and none of them wanted to do it online. It was really interesting. They, they liked coming together. We'd always have iced tea and people would bring different goodies to, to eat. And we it was a very nice kind of social group that we were writing in. And it didn't translate for them to online, but I still wanted to do it. So I, I created an online program to work on writing through grief. And that's when I wrote my first book on grieving was after my husband Ron died. And I wrote it because about six months after he died, a really good friend of his died on the mainland. And I was very concerned for his wife. He died suddenly. There was no preparation or anything for it. She was quite shocked. And I had just moved to Hawaii from where she was my neighbor over there. And I wasn't going to be able to see her in person. I thought, what could I do that would be really significant? And I decided I would write her every week for a year. And before I started writing the letters, I thought I'd, I'd better know that I've got a subject to write about every week for 52 weeks, because that's a lot of different things to write about. <laughs> but I, I got 52 things, no problem, and then started creating the cards. And I, I put a picture that I've taken on Maui. I love to take pictures here. Everything's so beautiful. I put that on the front of the card and then put whatever I wrote on the inside in some of those cards. And I was when I was in the process of printing them on my computer, I was thinking, you know, this is an outline for a book. And so that's that's where the book came from, was creating those cards to comfort somebody else. Wow. And so I, I got an agent and a contract and published that book and still was keeping up my online writing group. But I kept thinking something's missing. There's got to be something more to this. And I remembered after my husband Shock died, reading a book by Marcy Shimoff called Happy for No Reason. And... I thought happiness, that's what's missing because everybody talks about grief and grieving and nobody talks about how you really could be happy. You could feel better. You can move forward. You don't have to stay stuck in, in sadness for the rest of your life like a lot of people were saying they felt like. So I was checking out online about Marcy and discovered that she had a course that called the Happy for No Reason Certified Trainer Program. And with it, when you went through the course, you learned all the things. She's, she's quite an, an expert in happiness and has taught it all over the world and huge groups and uh, done a lot with it. And I thought, this is what I need. Program, training program that she had, she would share all, all the things that she used and all that teaching that she did and how she did it. And then when the when you got certified at the end of the program, you could do anything you wanted to with that information. Wow. You didn't have to teach. You could, if you want to teach a happy for no reason course, uh, following the guidelines in the book or however you wanted to do that. But she encouraged everybody to be creative and, and do something um, beyond that. So I thought, I'll, I'm just going to shift my focus to grief and happiness and created my grief and happiness podcast that I do. And I created, I, I expanded my online writing group to the Grief and Happiness Alliance instead of just writing. And we get together every week for on Sundays for an hour and 
we write about something, then we talk about what we wrote, and then we learn a happiness practice, and we make new friends in the process, and people come from different parts of the world every time. It's it's really exciting, all the people that we meet there. And what I like best is seeing them smile at the end of the session. So, and I had a, a group of people who came together because I, I was kind of unsure. I, when I'd say grief and happiness to people, they'd go, uh, well, uh, I, that those two words don't go together. And I'd say, well, I, I think they do. So I thought I better try it out before I just started publicizing it. So I invited a group of people from all around the country to come to a pilot program. And I told them all about it. And I, I facilitated a session like I would do when the, the group started. And then we had a discussion after that. And they they all said, we see through what you told us how grief and happiness does fit together. And we think it's a really good idea. And I said, oh, yay, then that's what I wanted to know. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. But my issue is, I don't want to charge people to come to these sessions. We're calling them gatherings now to come to, to our gatherings because it's more like peer support than it is like counseling sessions or something that you, you would pay for. Right. And I wanted people to feel very comfortable to, to come in and come and go as they pleased when they, they needed and, and or not needed and with no obligation. And still it costs me money to do something like that. So the people that did the pilot program said, well, we'll just get together and create a nonprofit organization that our mission will be to support the grief and happiness Alliance. That's awesome. And so that's what we did. And we're exploring now all all the other things that we can come up with to help people uh, with grief and happiness to provide comfort, support, love and happiness to people who are dealing with grief and loss and it's it's just really exciting and i i love love the work i'm doing and we i created the grief and happiness handbook which is a it's a kind of book that you can actually write in but it does have a lot of uh, lots of reading too it's not just you know a journal with lines to write on Uh, they have actual chapters with subjects and I went to the nonprofit and I said, how about instead of me going with a traditional publisher like I did before, that we publish this book as a, we self-publish it because we can keep the proceeds from that. And all the proceeds that come from the sales of the book will go directly to supporting the alliance. And so that's what we've done to boost that alliance so that they can keep doing what they're doing and help lots of more people all the time. That's wonderful. Yeah. I have a question for you concerning the grief and happiness, because I feel like from my own personal experience and just people that I know that the happiness factor, I mean, you kind of hold yourself back from being happiness because of guilt. I mean, like Mm -hmm. you feel guilty if you're happy and here your loved one has passed. And so how do you get people past that guilt. I mean, that they're allowed to be happy, even though they've lost some, you know, I mean, that to me, that's one of the hardest parts. Yeah. And, and I really think that that is the block for people when, when they hear grief and happiness together, that they, they don't feel it's appropriate right, for them to be happy when they're grieving. Or other people won't think you're grieving enough if you're happy. Yes. You know, you won't meet these standards of, of grief. <laughs> 
uh, yeah, societal norms. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you don't have to. That's the whole thing is, is you don't have to do things for society. What I always tell people when they, they ask me about what's what's the best thing I can do for myself when I'm grieving or how do I get started when I'm grieving? What I don't know how to care for myself. And I said, well, self-care is the very first thing you need to look at. Whatever is going to help you feel better and have you feel supported is very important because it's real easy to get in a downward spiral when you're grieving, where you get to the point where you just can't feel or see anything positive. Right. And that's kind of dangerous. And if you can see doing maybe baby steps, doing a little bit at a time and discovering that you smiled while you did it, whatever it was, can help people gradually move forward in their grief by finding things that help them be happy. And that's a lot of what we do in, in our group on, on Zoom is to give people something that they can, that will make them happy to write about and explore their feelings and explore their relationships and explore their grief in, in lots of different ways. And the people in the group just say that they love what we're doing, that they look forward to it every week because it's the one time where they have a chance to just breathe and be comfortable and say whatever they want to and know that they're not going to be judged. Right. And it, it really helps a lot. So I, one of the things in self-care that I emphasize the most is writing about your grief. And one of the most helpful things is to write about what you're grateful for. So do you get people ever that say, I'm not a writer, I can't do this? Or how do you approach those? Some people kind of say that, but you don't have to be a writer because nobody else is going to read it. It's for you. So it doesn't matter. Okay. They're not even reading it out loud or. No, they can. Some, sometimes people write something. They say, I've got, I've just got to read this out loud. And, and they do. And, and that's cool. And other times they say, I am not going to tell you about what I wrote, but this is how I felt when I wrote it, or this is what I was thinking of and that sort of a thing. So you get what you want to out of the book and not out of the book, out of the, the gatherings. Right. So it can help you along on your journey. Do you think some of the meeting in a group, I mean, some of that is also forming a new new connections, right? Yeah. I mean, they lost someone, but now they're forming new connections that gives them, you know, you know it gives you a reason to, to get up, I guess, in the morning or. Yeah, it really does. And it, that's really important. When Ron, my last husband who died, realized that his time was coming near, not immediate, but that it was coming. He had told me that he lived on Maui long before I knew him. And we came here on our honeymoon. And then we came back a few times after that, because it was just so comfortable here with, he hadn't lived here for like 30 years. Wow. And he'd run into friends on the street from way back then, or in the plane on the way over. Wow. It, it was so fascinating because there aren't that many people that actually live on Maui. There's way more tourists than there are people who live on, on Maui. And to be able to have those kind of relationships with people for that long was really cool. 
So we were here for two years before he died. And during those two years, we spent most of our time here at, at my home and I'm not getting out and meeting new people. And after he died, I realized that the out of all the people that I had met and that I knew, the only person that they were grieving was my husband. Oh. <laughs> you know, they 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 didn't none of them happened to be in the situation where they were grieving. And I I just felt like I needed to be around other people who who would get me. Right. Not that his his friends and our new friends didn't, but I wanted to be able to communicate with other people who were dealing with grief. And that made a world of difference to me to be able to do that. And I, as I said, I was when I was writing, I was looking for my life's purpose. And although I've written this last book as my sixth book that I've written, I'm very comfortable with, with writing and doing that sort of a thing. I didn't really feel like I knew what my purpose was after he died. Because I, I wasn't, uh, I still was teaching part-time for the university, even because we could, I could do it online and I really enjoyed doing that, but I wasn't communicating with anybody, but students essentially, and students are great, but they're, they're not your friends, you know? <laughs> exactly. And so I, I really wanted to find a way where I could find people who were just wanting to be together and share. And it's like that first group I told you about, I, I put a notice on meetup because I didn't know who to invite to it. Oh, wow. So everybody who came was a stranger and they were strangers to each other. And they didn't stay strangers for long because they all kind of got it, that it felt really good to be comfortable with saying whatever we wanted to about the experiences experiences we were having, or maybe they were having a tough week that week or whatever it was. Now, in, in your situation where your, your husband, if I'm understanding correctly, he was terminal, correct? Mm -hmm. So to me, and I, I don't know, I've not you know been in your shoes, but the grieving would start before he passes. I'm, I'm guessing, I mean, that you're grieving knowing that this is going to happen. Yeah. So how is that grief? How do you handle that versus the grief after the person passes? Is there a difference, I guess? Yeah, there, there is kind of a difference. And what you're referring to is what we call anticipatory grief. Okay. You know, it's coming. And one thing that was interesting is is both my husbands died of the same thing. Oh wow! And yeah, I wasn't when I I met the, my second husband who died. I it wasn't uh, he he didn't have any of the diagnoses that my other husband had had, so I I wasn't even thinking about that. Right? You know, having get a physical checkup or something before we got together. I was going to say you need a screening. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a, a very vital, uh, strong man. And, and I it just didn't cross my mind. Wow. But they, they both had, uh, my Jacques had diabetes, which Ron didn't have. But besides that, they both had congestive heart failure, which led to renal failure, which led to dialysis, wow. which led to their deaths. And they both lived about two years once they were diagnosed. And so the, that was, they, they had had the illnesses coming up to the, those last two years. But the last two years is when we were really spending 
a lot of time dealing with the illness as opposed to anything else. So how were you able to help him? I mean, I'm sure he was grieving too. I mean, I would think Mm -hmm. if I was told, you know, I only had so much time that you would be grieving yourself. It just seems overwhelming. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is overwhelming. But I I had kind of an advantage in that uh, Jacques was an ethicist and his specialty was uh, medical ethics. And he taught a course at the college. He was a professor uh, uh, called the ethics of living and dying. And he would, it was required for all the nursing students at that college. So they kept having a bigger and bigger nursing department. So it was the only class he was teaching by the time he retired because it was required for so many students. And they just loved it because people just don't talk about death and dying that much. So he was very involved in the death and dying field. He was instrumental in bringing hospice into the community where he was back when hospices were just starting to be formed. He went to England and studied with Dame Cecily Saunders over there, who was really the the founder of hospice. And he also was instrumental in bringing Elizabeth Kubler-Ross to his college where he was teaching, wow. who's, who she's like the, the death and dying person. Right. So he, he was very involved in that. And interestingly, when he was sick, he kind of didn't ever admit to himself that he was he was that sick that that what was happening uh, he was going to die from and literally he also i should tell you was very occupied during those last couple of years with doing a new revision on his textbook that's been out since he was a lot older than i am that his textbook came out in 1975 and it's still wow. in print and used around the world i'm still getting royalties for that after uh, it's so it's pretty amazing but he was he usually did a revision every two years and it had been three years that he'd been working on this revision and he just couldn't work on it like he used to but he was he was very immersed in doing that revision so he was reading and researching and being able to do a lot of that thing sort of thing at home and I was helping him with typing because his fingers got to the point where they just didn't type the way they used to they were kind of swollen and just didn't work real well so he finished that revision on a Friday morning and he was going to dialysis on Friday afternoon and we I fixed him a little lunch before we left and at lunch he said am I going to get better oh and I thought, oh my gosh, as brilliant as you are, <laughs> I I thought he knew. I thought he knew he was dying. I really did. And you think it's because he distracted himself so well? No, I think it's because he didn't admit it. Okay. He kind of had felt like he was going to live forever. Went in denial. Yeah. And that that it's as much as he was working with medical people on like ethics committees at the regional medical center and all all that sort of thing, he just it didn't it didn't dawn on him that when he went to the doctor it wasn't for the doctor to heal him so he'd get better and you know live the life he wanted to uh-huh. and that, that was really interesting having the conversations with him along the way for instance he the doctor told him he had to have a colonoscopy and he'd had one in the past and he said I don't want to go through that prep right I you know I it's horrible I don't want to do it 
and we were, it was the doctor and my husband and I were having this conversation. And I said, you don't have to. And he, he looked at me like, I, I don't have to. I said, it's, it's your body. It's up to you. If you don't want to have any test, you don't have to have it. You can make that decision. So he turned around, looked at the doctor and said, I'm not having a colonoscopy. <laughs> and he was so happy about that. And, and I, I should have gotten the hint then since he, he wasn't seeing that, that he thought he was going to doctors to heal. Wow. And when, when I said no, that he wasn't going to get better by all the dialysis and surgeries and the emergency room visits and all that, that he wasn't going to get better and heal and go back to his normal, he was surprised. And he actually died when we were getting him in the car to go to dialysis that afternoon. Oh, wow. It's once he realized that he wasn't getting better all this time, he thought he was going to get better but he didn't. So it was different with him because as, as we were dealing with things going along, we did have doctor's visits, hospital stays, all, all that kind of a thing, but it was different because I, I couldn't reflect and see that we weren't really communicating in a way that would have served us both. So when Ron started having the similar health challenges, I made a commitment with him because he very much believed in living in the moment. And so we we lived in the moment. We'd spend our time together. We spent a lot of time sitting on our lanai, the Hawaiian word for like porch, with the beautiful views and the beautiful weather and just talking or just sitting together. Or he got to the point where his eyes weren't working real well. And somebody had given him a book for his birthday that he really wanted to read. And he was frustrated that he couldn't read it. I said, I'll read it to you. Yeah. So we sat out there. I read the entire book out loud to him. And he he was very pleased. But we we were very calm in how we, we went about that. And when he went through those last couple of weeks of his life, it was so different. And everybody around him was positive and supporting and just lovely it it was an amazing experience wow so i'm not sure if that answered your question but yeah i think it did it was interesting to me that you brought up elizabeth kubler ross because she talks about the stages of grief is that correct Mm -hmm. yeah so do you uh and i i'm not going against anything she says but do you believe that there are specific stages of grief or do you believe that we all just deal with it how we deal with it that's a that's a really controversial topic and you'll get a different answer from anybody that you ask about it those stages were originally written for death oh okay her for her book on death and dying wasn't about the grief and people just wanted it at that point people weren't talking about grief that much and they wanted something to hang on to and they kind of just kind of adopted it into that and after she realized that was happening she wrote more on stages for grieving for grief okay if you research it online you'll find everything from there are only two stages of grief or there are no stages of grief or there are 12 confirmed proved i've seen 12 7 5 you know, they, so they, there's lots of different things there. And what I say is you don't have to go through a specific set of things to graduate from grief. You know, that's that's just not how it happens, that you experience what you experience when you have it. 
And if you're, we were talking about anger earlier, if you're angry, then experience that and see what, what the lesson is that, that you're getting from the anger and what you need to do to release the anger when you realize it's not serving you. Right. So when you identify whatever it is that's bothering you, it doesn't have to be a stage. It's just whatever it is that you're dealing with at that moment, you can work through it positively. And that makes all the difference where if you think, well, I didn't ever feel acceptance. Well, some people don't feel acceptance. Right. I believe that you don't get over grief. It doesn't, grief doesn't end. I believe once you start grieving someone that you loved, you're going to carry them in your heart for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. They don't just magically disappear from your life and you never knew anything, you know, about them, you know, up until that point. Right. It doesn't work that way. There, there's still a significant part of your life. I, I grieve my parents every once in a while. Something will happen that'll bring a little tear or a smile. Both. When, when I, I think about, and they've been gone a long time. Oh wow! So, and my sister passed during the pandemic, and I was in Hawaii, and she was on the mainland, and I couldn't go over there. I couldn't be with family. I couldn't do anything like that, and that, that was kind of tough. But I kind of took it into my own hands and did what I needed to do for me. And I'm, I'm okay with it. It's, it's okay. So we grieve all kinds of things, right? It's, oh, yeah. It's not just the death of a loved one. So is it similar in your opinion or is it different? Like, I, I mean, I know my husband had cancer and he got very ill. Uh, thank God he made it through. But, you know, I remember that those and, and the fear, like the anticipatory. I mean, you don't know what's coming mm -hmm. and you grieve what you think you might not have. So I was just curious if it's similar because and, and that's just one example. I mean, we we grieve all kinds. of. You might not have got the job you wanted. And you so you grieve over that or whatever the case may be. Do you think it's similar? Do they follow similar patterns or very different? Absolutely. There's a lot that there are in common. That's why I always say grief and loss, because the, the loss can be uh, one of the people in my group lost her home in the California wildfires. Oh, wow. That's all. And she was grieving that. She still had all of her family, didn't have all of her pets because uh, they were oh, horrible. in the fire. But, oh, I remember one time, all the jobs I've had in my life have just kind of come to me and it's always been kind of wonderful. And there was one time in my life that I applied for something and I really wanted it. And when I found out what well, I got, it got down to two finalists that they were considering. And when they told me that they hired the other person, boy, I agree for that because I, I thought that was what I was supposed to do. Right. And Fortunately, I realized that it wasn't what I was supposed to do. And I was very glad that I didn't get the job after all with the way everything turned out. But but it's an example of the it, I felt grief for that experience that I had. And you can have a, a pet, a dogs, especially, it seems like you get so close to them, their family members. And oh, absolutely. When when they die, it just it's horrible. And then you make you wonder why you get another one, but you yeah, usually do. Yeah. So there's there's all kinds of loss. And in with other kinds of loss, just like with grief, self-care is number one. 
But when you're in the pits of that, and the I, I don't know if you'd call it depression or just being down and overwhelmed, but how do you even get yourself to focus on self-care? I mean, because you may have felt like, you know, life as you knew it is gone, right? So mm-hmm. how do you make yourself get up and take care of yourself? Well, there's, there's kind of the transition period that seems like, I think what I'd call limbo to me, where you aren't in the same situation you were before the death. And you're not sure how things can be without your loved one. And you got to work through that. And and it takes a while. And I found myself after Ron died, and I didn't didn't really know who to reach out to here on Maui at that point. I spent a lot of time in bed and it was okay because that's what I needed at that point. Right. I discovered Hallmark movies, which is something that I probably wouldn't have watched otherwise and I don't watch now. Oh, really? But at at that time, I, I watched them back to back and I loved watching them because they were basically positive. Exactly. That's what I love about them. They might have something that wasn't pleasant that happened in the middle of the movie, but by the end of the movie, you knew it was all going to turn out right. It's a feel-good movie, yeah. And everybody was going to be happy at the end of the movie. And right, yeah, they they made me feel like there's there was hope, you know, that that I could feel better again if all these people could go through all these different experiences that they did in those movies and come out with a smile, then. I was going to be able to do that too, but it it was a while where I I watched a lot of those movies and that was self-care for me at that point. And another point, uh, a friend of mine came over because she, she knew I wasn't getting out much and she said, come get in the car. And she took me to the beach and I didn't really feel up to walking. I was, I had the issue with my knee at the time. So I, I just, took a chair and sat on the beach while she went for a long watch on the beach, a long walk on the beach. And just the process of being in a different space and feeling there's something positive to me about the beach. It just always feels, makes you feel good. There is. Breathing the the sea air and seeing the, hear the beautiful clear water and the the waves. And it's, it was really nourishing to me and the experience proved to me that I would feel better if I would get out more and do something. And I even started after that walking around my neighborhood uh, because I've got, I I live on the side of a volcano, something that a lot of people can't say, (laughs) but because it's on the side of a volcano, it's kind of hilly and all the, the, the roads around me, the, the blocks are really long and the roads are really wavy. And so you really get exercise just walking in the neighborhood here. And I didn't have to have somebody walk with me. I could go on my own and I discovered audiobooks. And so I would listen to a book and walk and it just felt so good to feel the breeze on my face and blowing my hair and getting a little little tanned just by being outside because I had gotten pretty uh, pretty light <laughs> and I looked a lot healthier when I had a little sun on my skin. So finding things like that and being patient with yourself, not not giving yourself deadlines or thinking, well, by this time I have to do that. 
I've heard people say that they were working when they were dealing with grief. And uh-huh. one woman told me that her one of her parents had died and she only had three days off. And those three days included wow. the, the actual death, the funeral arrangements, doing the funeral and the whole thing within three days. And then she came back to work the next day and she got kind of teary. She was having a hard day and her boss came over and said, you need to get over that. You can't be crying like that at work. And aren't you over that yet? I thought you obviously haven't had somebody die in your life, (laughs) you know, because, you know, and it's amazingly, there are people that have never had a big loss in their life. Mm hmm. Exactly. And you wonder if, you know, if making it that long without the big loss, is it going to impact them even harder because they haven't experienced loss yet? You know what I'm saying? And they may get it, but often they don't get it. Yeah. So is that, you know, I was going to ask you, is that what, I know you talk about the things you should never say to someone who's grieving. Is that what you were leading up? Is that one of the things that? Yeah, that's likely. That's horrible. No. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, are you over that yet? I I can't believe people. This sort of thing or or people who lose a child say, well, you can always have another baby. You you don't replace children. (laughs) You know, you might have another child, but that that's not a replacement. And people say that all the time. And that's a hit horrible. Yeah. I, I can't believe people even say that. One of my uh, colleagues, uh, John Polo, does. Uh, he's he's written a bunch of books on grief, and he's uh, a real interesting guy. He was he lost his wife young? I think they were in their twenties when she she had cancer and wow. died, and and he was really having a hard time with it. But he has a podcast with uh, another person actually in Australia and they, they host the podcast together and they kept hearing these horrible things that would people, people would say to people who are grieving and wow. they decided that they would research that. And so they asked people, sell, send us the most horrible thing that somebody said to you while you were grieving. And they had a book. They, they just published the book this this spring and it's it's I think it's if I remember right it's this, this stupid I think it was s asterisk asterisk t people say to people who are grieving <laughs> or say when people die something to that extent and it's it'll blow you away and they realized when they were writing it that they couldn't just write all that stupid stuff they had to include in there instead of that you might want to say this. <laughs> so that it, it it wasn't an all downer book and it i highly recommend it if if you're wondering about what people say but when people ask me what to say when somebody's grieving what i tell them is to say something positive about their loved one and say their name yeah sure so people would say to me about Jacques. They go, I just love Jacques' singing voice and whenever i knew that he was going to be singing someplace i made sure that i'd go there that boy that's so much better than i'm sorry for your loss you know that that is a great suggestion really i mean we all fall back on the sorry for your loss because we you don't know what to you know because i you know if you've grieved before that nothing really helps just knowing that people care i think helps but or with with ron they tell he helped me out so much with my business i don't know what i would have done if i wouldn't have met him when i did that 
that touches my heart and it's, it makes me smile and it's, it helps me with my grieving to have these positive things. Yeah. One, one thing that people said to me to the point that I was ready to scream. <laughs> yes. Jump on that person. The next time somebody said it, how are you or how are you doing? It's usually when people say, how are you? They don't care how you are. You know, you just say, fine, how are you? But there was something about when when I was grieving and somebody would say that to me, I felt like saying, you really don't want to know, you know, <laughs> or I can tell you, do you have a couple hours or, <laughs> you know, things like that. So I, I realized if I, I, I started saying I'm doing the best I can and that kind of it ended the conversation, but it was in kind of a positive way so that I didn't have to respond to that question that was bothering me so much. Yeah, that is good. So I have to ask, did you ever start your in-person group in Maui back up after the pandemic? Actually, I got so busy with all these other things that I've been doing because it's, I've, I've written two books, formed the, the foundation, hosts the Grief and Happiness podcast, which t- has two episodes every week. I love seeing people in person. I've gone, I do go when people invite me to go to places to speak wow. or to facilitate things that have to do with grief. Like I went to Kansas City, Missouri last fall to Unity Village, the headquarters for Unity Church, where they were having their first in-person gathering back at the the village after the pandemic. And they thought because of so much grief from the pandemic, it would be good to do a retreat on grief. And so I co-facilitated that and it was a wonderful experience. It was just great. I love to do things like that. That's great. So, and I have to say, just as a sidebar, you know, I've been to Maui before and I, I have to say that it's the one place that I've ever been that I just felt instant peace like as soon as I got off the plane, I I can't even describe it. I was just like, you just sigh this big sigh and it's just peace. So I don't know if that's partly what drew you and Ron there or just the beauty of the place or both, but uh, that's something that's never left my memory is just that feeling. Yeah, I've, I've traveled a lot in the world and I don't feel like I feel on Maui anyplace else. Exactly. Yeah. And when I go over to the mainland to visit friends or family or do a presentation or a book signing or or that sort of thing, people ask me, well, when are you coming home? And I tell them I am home. Exactly. You know, I, I, I live in my home where I'm supposed to be now and I'm very happy to. And I have plenty of people come to visit me from the mainland. I'm sure you do. <laughs> I think I've I've seen more friends. uh, Well, I know I've had more friends come and stay with me here than I ever have in my life. Right. And I love that. It's just wonderful. So what, what lights you up these days? What do you have another book on the back burner or what do you see in the near future for yourself? Well, I'm, I'm always writing something just because that's, that's who I am. I do that, but I also have realized that uh, expressing my creativity is just critical for me, for my happiness. And so I I find all different kinds of things to do with that. There's a wonderful art center here on the island. And I've I've taken several classes there and will take more classes there. Uh Learning lots of different things. 
And for a while, one of my friends that I met because she, she lives a couple blocks away from me and her husband died not long after my husband died. And so we started kind of doing things together and we found these online free classes in watercolors that you could paint. So we'd get together and turn on the computer and, and paint together. That's awesome. And she moved on to, to something else, but I, I really like the watering, the watercoloring. So I, I do that for myself whenever I want to have started instead of going to the store to buy a card for a celebration for something, I'll paint the card. That's awesome. And yeah, it's, it's really fun. And I also do ceramics. I, I really like ceramic sculpture and my husband made sure to, that I had a studio built on our property so that I, I would have that to to be able to do so. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And I love to cook, do different things with cooking and entertaining. And I find things that don't have anything to do with grief or grieving and are just being friends. If If I get to the point where it's like, I, I don't want to say one more thing about grief. I'll call up a friend and say, let's go and have a cup of tea someplace, or let's go for a walk on the beach. And that's, that's just so good for me. It, it's really, really good. Oh yeah. I had in, in my group uh, that I do on Sundays, there's a few people from Hawaii that, that come to that group. And right now I, I have a person from Maui that's coming to the group. And I mentioned the other day on the group that, I, I really wanted to go to a play that was happening because somebody had just told me about this play and said it was just fabulous. And I said, I really want to go to it, but it's so much more fun when you go with somebody. And that person said, I'll go with you. And I thought, I don't know why I didn't think to ask her if she wanted to go before, but it, it was really nice to just do something different. Right. I, I went to the film festival here and enjoyed that. That was seven nights of movies sitting out under the stars. And it it was really cool. So they, I, I keep my eye open for something positive that I can do so that it so that I'm not isolating myself in grief work exclusively. That's great. So since you have your own studio, have you thought about actually giving classes? On the ceramics or on the watercolors or? Yeah, I, I've thought about that. I've done lots of classes, been a teacher of something forever. I used to actually teach basket weaving at the junior college and where I lived. That's neat. <laughs> so, and and we did underwater basket weaving and that was always a joke with, with people, but we did it. I never heard of that. It was really great. And I, and I love doing that. So I, I can, I teach classes when somebody asks me to do something, or if I see something I, I really want to do that, I'll do that. Because it, it, it's fun to watch what other people I, and I'm, I'm the kind of teacher when I'm teaching creative stuff that I want people to do what they're inspired to do, not what I tell them to do. Right. So everything turns out different and, and it's, oh, some beautiful things. That's neat. Maybe it'll be some illustrations for your next book. Could be. Well, I I could. One of the things that I do is when I go for all these walks on the island, I'm always taking pictures. And those cards that I sent to my friend, I had uh, taken lots of pictures. So I just went through them and I had 52 different pictures that I sent on the 52 different cards. That's awesome. And when I was working on the Grief and Happiness Handbook, the publisher said uh, she had 
we had read it and she said, you know, those cards. And I said, yeah. And she goes, don't you think you should publish those? And I said, I have explored so many ways to publish those since I did them, but it was all just not cost effective. And she said, well, let me help you with that. And so um, where the cards are absolutely beautiful and they've got on one side, a similar design on, on each one of with this kind of Hawaiian theme with, Oh, the flower plumerias on and things in in the corner that's pretty and then they have whatever it is that that we would talk about in in that chapter with that thing on one side and the other side is one of the beautiful pictures that i've taken in maui so now i kind of consider myself an amateur photographer because i've got those 52 uh photographs that that are being sold with with the cards They're, they're we're having some challenges getting them here. I think it's going to be another eight weeks before you can actually purchase them. So oh, they're separate from the book? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it's a, a box of cards. Like people give me cards sometime that are like like a, a box like this. Right. And you open it and there's cards inside. And that's that's what they are. They're not like greeting cards to send somebody, but they're a good size that you could just stick it in an envelope and send it one to a friend every week for the first year. Wow. Or or you could just pull one out for you to look at it and think about that and look at the beautiful picture on the other side. So that's that's another way I'm creative was doing something like that. I'm just really excited about those 52 pictures on my 52 cards. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. What better beautiful scenery than Maui? Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty neat. So is there anything we haven't talked about today that you think would be important for the listeners to hear about? I know we've touched on a lot of different. Yeah, there's a, a lot of different things. My my main thing is making sure you take care of yourself. And a good way to do that is to come to the, our alliance meetings on Zoom once a week. They're free. They don't cost you anything. And you'll meet people from lots of different places that are there. And the the people, when they, they come to their first session, they're not quite know what to expect but by the end they're smiling they actually are smiling and i've I've seen grief groups that i decided i wasn't going to go to grief groups because so so many of them everybody's crying at the end of the meeting and i i didn't want to do that right and i think like we talked about earlier i think connection is a huge part of that even if they came and they said nothing the first time just feeling that Mm -hmm. connection is huge. And I, yes. the other thing I wanted to touch on that I just remembered was uh, communication mm-hmm. is huge, isn't it? I mean, like yes. communicating what you need and communicating to that person that, you know, is grieving and in yes. the proper way. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that communication is vital because I, I think I mentioned before that isolation is one of the biggest problems that people have when they're grieving. Right. And it's, it's important to have some communication and that communication doesn't mean that you're having to give advice or that you're having to talk that communication can be as simple as like going to your friend's house and sitting next to them on the couch and holding their hand while they talk the whole time right and you just listen and pay attention so it's the communication doesn't have to be writing or talking it, it can be in a lot of different ways that's very true. Maybe your love language is making cookies and <laughs> you take cookies to to a friend who's who's grieving. That can 
just find ways to communicate for you and for you to communicate with people you know who could really use it when they're dealing with grief and loss. Yeah, that's great. I think it is very important. Is there anything else that you can think of? Well, that's a whole lot that we've talked about today. <laughs> so how can people, what's the best place that they, if they want to reach out to you or find your books or, I, I know you mentioned the podcast, but yes, please mention it again. Yeah. The, the podcast is Grief and Happiness and it's available any place podcasts are recorded. I have two episodes each week. One is a long one that's an interview with someone and the other one is a short one where I just talk for maybe five minutes on, on something grief related that can help. And interestingly, I have about the same number of listeners for both of them. Oh, wow. Cause I thought maybe I'd have two different groups, one that liked the short ones and one that liked the long ones, but it, it seems like they uh, got this similar numbers for, for both of the podcasts each week. That's great. So, and I think listening to podcasts is a, a really good thing to do. Because it shows you what other people do, what other people experience, what other people think, and that that can be uh, provide a lot of comfort. And in the books, I have two books. The first one was Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief, and the other one is the Grief and Happiness Handbook. They're both available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. They can order them for you if they don't have it in your local store. That's great. The meetings every Sunday, you can sign up for that on our website. I have two different websites. The, the one is loving and living your way through grief.com. And it's got a lot of information about, uh, oh, it's got my blogs. It has ways to contact me to speak to people um, it, or, you know, do, do speaking engagements or podcasts or that sort of thing. And it, it's got a lot on it. And then the other one is griefandhappiness.com. And that one has uh, the link where you can make a reservation to come to the meeting each week. And we have people make a reservation every week so that they, they get a new uh, link right before the meeting for the meeting. And we've done that for, for protection for the people who come. Because we did have one incident where somebody totally inappropriate came oh, wow. and I felt like it was because it was there was no charge for it and so people will do things like that to something that they don't have to pay for wow that's sad if they see free that's that's the people they're gonna bomb and I just said well we'll just fix that by having a new link every week so we don't have a continual link that's out there and can float around and people can get a hold of so we, that uh, makes it so we, you can feel safe and comfortable when you come to the group. Okay. But the place to make that reservation is on griefandhappiness.com. And you can just sign up each week that you want to come. That's awesome. So when your cards come out, will they be available on Amazon also? They'll be available on Amazon. Okay. Yes. And if you've got some place that would be good to sell them, like a gift shop or a a uh, hospital gift shop or any place like that, that you'd like to have. And we can make arrangements for that too. That's wonderful. Well, I appreciate your time today and on all the wisdom and experience and everything you've helped us get through today. So it's been great. I do appreciate it. Thank you. I, I appreciate being on. I, I love to share about this and oh, I'm helping people in the process. Oh, I think you absolutely are. You can tell you're passionate about it. And I think that 
that makes all the difference in the world, you know? So, yeah. Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed having you. Thank you. Mahalo, as we say here. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As we wrap up today's episode, I hope Emily sharing her journey and her wisdom has helped you in some way. The main takeaway for me is that grief is different for everyone, and we have to be mindful not to put our expectation of what grief is on someone else, or even on ourselves. Who knows how we may react when that time comes. There is no right or wrong way to grieve. We all deal with grief in different ways, and for most of us, we never get over it. We just learn how to deal with it. I loved how Emily talks about the fact that it's okay to be happy again, and you can be happy again, and don't worry what everyone else thinks or says. You do what makes you happy. Life's way too short. So what stood out for you today? I'd love to hear from you. As always, I hope this episode helps at least one person. And with that, I hope you have a blessed week, my friend. Thank you for listening to The Beauty in the Mess. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas you would like to hear about, or you think you would be a great guest on the show, you can reach me directly at thebeautyinthemess.com. Thanks for listening.